The Devil Within, the hit true crime podcast, is back with a terrifying journey into the mind of a madman. In the 1970s, New York City had it all. Hip-hop, punk rock, and the son of Sam. The Devil Within, a season in hell, is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Natalie and I are twinning today as we record this, and I'm here for it. I'm loving it. It's totally unplanned, but we are both rocking our Pride merch. I'm wearing my baby blue sweatshirt with our logo on front and a bumblebee tooting a rainbow on the back. It's super cute and definitely chef's kiss. And I'm actually wearing the t-shirt. I run hot. So like if it's 80 degrees, I'm not wearing a sweatshirt. But Natalie will rock a crew neck at any temperature. (laughs) It's true because I I don't want my arms sunburned. (laughs) I would sweat it out if I had to for that logo because it's so freaking cute. I love the Pride logo so much. And fun fact for our listeners, my sister, our new in-house artist, actually made the logo. And again, we love it so much. The other thing we've been loving lately are all of the Dear Diary entries. So thank you to everyone who has been submitting. And if you have a story to tell, we want to hear it. Send it over to the Murder Diaries Pod Request at gmail.com. We can't wait to read more of your stories. True crime, true crime adjacent, what have you, we'll take it. With that said, we will get into this episode's case. On the evening of June 21st, 1996, Swedish au pair Karina Homer went to the now closed Zanzibar nightclub in downtown Boston's theater district. She never made it home. No one knows what happened to Karina after 3 a.m. that night when she was removed from the club. There are accounts, tips, and stories, but as the Boston Herald puts it, quote, this remains a haunting cold case that police are still seeking the public's help to solve, end quote. I want to begin this story by saying that there are a lot of resources out there, tons of articles and podcast episodes, but yet there's so little actual tangible information on this case. You will hear me credit Trace Evidence a lot as they were a wonderfully helpful resource in this episode. So thank you to Mr. Pacheco and shout out to Trace Evidence Podcast for an amazing job examining this case. I have the Trace Evidence episode linked in the form of a YouTube video in our show notes. All that said, this is her story. 
Karina Erika Holmer was born September 7, 1975, to a Swedish father and German mother. We were able to get in touch with one of our longtime Swedish listeners, and she so helpfully sent us a voice memo with the authentic, correct pronunciation of where in Sweden Karina was born. We'll play that right here. The town name is Alarid, and then it's Vagrid Kommun. Vagrid is also a city, like a little bit bigger than Alarid, uh, and it's all in Jönköping. Land, and uh, that's the county. Thank you, P, again for that pronunciation voice memo. Now, where Karina was born was about 320 kilometers, which is about 200 miles southwest of Sweden's capital, Stockholm. Karina had an older sister and two younger sisters. Her father told the Boston Herald in 1996, quote, she was a wonderful girl, a beautiful girl, and a very nice girl. Karina had a love of horses as well. She was actually chairman of her pony club. She ran cross country and she did other sports as well. Around the age of eight, Karina became part of a scouting organization that's really similar to, at least here in the U.S., similar to Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts. According to Trace Evidence Podcast, one of the differences to Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts is actually that this Swedish scouting organization or troop is actually open to both boys and girls. Karina was known to be headstrong, and according to the Boston Herald, an old neighbor told a Swedish tabloid, quote, Karina was a tough girl who knew what she wanted to be. They continued, quote, she always pushed forward and wanted to be what she wanted to be. You could tell that at an early time, end quote. That sentiment about Karina actually makes a lot of sense when you talk about who she was. When she graduated high school, for a few years, she trained and worked as a chef and server, but that wasn't what she ultimately wanted. And she went out there and got what it was she wanted, which was to go to the U.S. In order to do so, she looked towards a nanny slash au pair agent. The unfortunate thing is that the agent that Karina did find was actually unlicensed to operate, and they weren't allowed to be sending au pairs anywhere to work. We don't really know how Karina started working with this agent, and we don't really know how they had been continuing to operate, but we do know that they had previously been fined twice by Swedish officials for illegally operating without a license. Regardless of them operating without a license, after winning 10,000 Swedish krona on a scratcher, which was worth about 1,500 US dollars at the time, um, it's actually closer to about 1,000 today, With the help of that unlicensed agent, in March of 1996, Karina was off to Dover, Massachusetts to work as an au pair for an American family. They had two kids that Karina would be in charge of, a six- or seven-year-old boy who was a first grader and a toddler daughter. This family has been through enough at this point in regards to this case for the last 25 or 26 years, so... I'm going to be keeping their names private in our episode, but I will say that the parents or... Karina's employers, if you will, were and still are prominent in the art world. The father of the children Karina was nannying was a well-known photographer, and the mother was a well-known artist and art professor. When Karina first landed in the U.S., she started to build her life here. Of course, she was working, nannying for the two children as she came here to do, and she was dating. She dated a few guys, including a Boston police officer. However, after three months, Karina was getting homesick and she planned to return to Sweden in August. 
Karina's friend Charlotte tells the Boston Herald, quote, the last time I was in contact with her, she said she would probably go back home earlier. Do we know how long this assignment was for Karina? That's a really great question. I wondered that too, but I could not find any resources that stated just how long Karina was assigned to be an au pair for that family. I should note though that most au pair assignments are temporary. Regardless of that, we do know she wanted to go home in August and that was early. Considering Karina's early departure, she never made any formal complaints, not to the Swedish consulate in Boston or really anything like that besides in a letter home. She wrote to her friend, quote, there's always so much cleaning and I think I'm stressed all the time. So this is not exactly what I thought it would be, end quote. That friend, Charlotte, again tells the Boston Herald, quote, she seemed to be pleased with the city and she had acquaintance with the other nannies in the area. She continues, she said there hadn't been any serious problems of any kind. She hadn't been threatened by anybody. She felt safe, end quote. Now, Karina had been writing home to friends and family often throughout her stay in the U.S. There are other accounts of another letter to her friend, Ulrika, that said something terrible had happened. This is different than Charlotte's experience, but Karina never said what happened. She just said that she would explain more when she got home in a couple of months. According to the Trace Evidence podcast, the attorney for the family was unaware of any of these feelings that Karina may have had. He said, quote, I don't know whether these letters represent her overall feelings, but if those were her feelings, she was able to not have them interfere with her relationship with blank and blank's children, which is the cornerstone of any au pair relationship. One of the bright spots of Karina's stay here in the U.S. and her employment as an au pair was that on the weekends, she had access to a loft on A Street in Boston's South End. Her employers actually owned that loft and used that loft during the week. So Karina had access on the weekends. Boston's only about 30 or 40 minutes away from Dover. And of course, it was definitely more fun for an almost 21-year-old on the weekends after caring for two children all week. When taking weekends in Boston, Karina enjoyed hanging out with other young au pairs, exploring the cafes on Newbury Street and the nightclubs downtown. That's exactly what she was doing on the night of June 21st, 1996. She went out to a nightclub called Zanzibar with some friends. Karina and her friends were a group of Swedish au pairs known as, quote, the Swedish nannies to locals around the nightlife scene in downtown Boston. The group would often meet up at the loft and then walk downtown to Boston's theater district. According to Emily Thompson from Morbidology.com's blog, Karina got into the bars and clubs in Boston with a fake ID as she wasn't 21 yet. But let's remember, the legal drinking age is and was 18 in Sweden. That aside, let's talk a little bit about where Karina did go that night. As I mentioned, she went to a nightclub called Zanzibar. Now, Zanzibar is no longer open, but it was off of Boston's main street, Boylston Street, on Boylston Place in an area called The Alley. Boston Magazine in 1998 named Zanzibar Best Club New Theme. Quote, this new dance club is a Banana Republic fantasy, complete with palm fronds, wicker satays, and waitresses in khaki hot pants. The music is numbingly dumb disco for white people who can't keep time. In other words, goofy suburban fun, end quote. I want to note that today, a venue called The Estate stands in Zanzibar's place today. 
Anyway, back to the evening of June 21st and early morning, June 22nd. Karina is enjoying her night at Zanzibar. It wasn't that uncommon when they would go out for Karina and her friends to kind of go their separate ways for periods of time throughout the night. Uh, They would be dancing and mingling on their own and coming back together off and on throughout the night. It was no different that night either. According to Trace evidence, as her friends spotted her off and on and reconnected with her that night, they noticed that she was getting more and more intoxicated. Then, again, according to Trace evidence, Karina was found in the bathroom around 3 a.m. as the club was closing down. Billy Jensen's article also mentions that Karina was found in the bathroom. After she was found, Karina was escorted out of the club by a bouncer, and she was left outside in the downtown Boston's alley area that I mentioned earlier. TrueCrimeDaily.com writes about Karina's case in their blog, and they shared a review, a Yelp review, from 2009 about the alley area. Thanks to their blog, I'm going to share it as well. These quotes really give a picture of what this area is like in the early morning hours. Quote, this is the alley at Boylston Place, a.k.a. the wackiest place in Boston at 2.30 a.m. on a Saturday. On the weekend, well, it's covered in every type of party dude or dudette that one could possibly encounter. Having liquor store and estate here kind of brings out the party crowd and the gypsy bar and others nearby. It's a wacky party place. Notice that they mention estate, which is, again, where Zanzibar used to be. True Crime Daily goes on with its quotes, quote, and then it hits 2 a.m. when the bars close and the MBTA is also closed thanks various forces at work. And this place turns into a nightmare central. Cops shouting to get out, arresting drunk morons, everyone and their mother attempting to get a taxi, and the wackiest that abounds from all of this happening at once to a few hundred plus people. Basically, it's a shit show. End quote. When you Google Earth one Boylston place in Boston, which was Zanzibar's address, you see the alley area. And it's marked by a big, beautiful black arch with gold accents. If you continue on in Google Earth's street mode, you can see pictures of the alley from both daytime and nighttime. You actually get a sense of just how beautiful yet wacky this place can be, or so has been written and seems from the pictures. I just want to interject with my thoughts on 2 a.m. and how this alleyway is after the bars close. It really reminds me of when you're at a club and the lights turn on. The magic is gone and it's just a lot of hustle bustle. There's drunk people. There's a lot of movement. I can't imagine being extremely intoxicated and having to maneuver this area while still being new to the area. You know that saying, nothing good happens after Uh, midnight? Yeah. So like if it's after midnight, stay where you are or like go home. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. And listen, to our Bostonian listeners, if you go out at the alley area, I'm sure there is something for everyone. And we know that Yelp and Google Earth pictures don't show all that a place has to offer. Back to Karina. She never ended up reconnecting with her friends. When she was escorted by the bouncer, it was past closing and she was not allowed or unable to get back in. This is where things with this case start to get a bit confusing in all honesty. Many reports and resources state that Store 24 on Mass Avenue showed Karina inside or near the store around 3 or 3 a.m. But Billy Jensen writes in his article that someone he knows, inferring that they're close to the case and close to him, says that the security footage doesn't exist. 
It's hard to know what to think or really piece together exactly what happened to Karina after she left Zanzibar. There were reports of Karina getting in a gray Mitsubishi car with a group of men. And the person that came forward about this tip said that they went to the window to try to get Karina out, saying that she came with him and that it was time to go. But someone in the car said, quote, get away from the car, you little or I'll crush your head. There were reports of Karina speaking with what CelebrateBoston.com refers to as a, quote, spirited nocturnal neighborhood person, end quote. This man would often dress up his Great Pyrenees in a Superman shirt that matched his own, and he used this as a way to pick up women in the city on the weekends. This man, whose name I will leave out because his name has been tied to this case enough, died by suicide a year later, but he was cleared before that because he got a speeding ticket that night that proved his innocence. There were reports of Karina speaking with a transient man that danced and sang with or to her, and other reports of Karina being seen walking on Tremont Street between Boylston and Park. So you can see there's so many different accounts. We don't know what, if any, truly happened. Trace Evidence Podcast quotes one of the lieutenants on the case saying, quote, we know she was there with friends, meaning Zanzibar, and we know she was talking with cement, which is not unusual. She was talking inside, but whether she left with anyone is total conjecture. So law enforcement really doesn't know who, if anyone, Karina left with or where she was going. As for her friends, they say basically that as the club closed, they couldn't find Karina. They waited around a bit, but they decided to head home because they didn't know if Karina had gone back to the loft, to another bar, or where she was. There are reports that Karina mentioned well in Zanzibar that night that she was going to go to an after party of sorts later, but again, not confirmed according to trace evidence either. With all of this considered, Karina seemingly vanished between the hours of 3 and 4 a.m. that early morning of June 22, 1996. That is until Sunday, June 23rd, when a shocking, gruesome discovery was made in Karina's case. A transient man was rummaging through trash receptacles near Fidway Park. He ends up at a dumpster that, according to, again, trace evidence, sat behind 1901 Boylston Street, about two miles southwest of Zanzibar. In that dumpster, the man found a heavy, strange trash bag. Then, to his horror, a human arm inside that trash bag. He ran until he found a police officer. The trash bag weighed about 48 pounds, and inside was Karina's upper torso from just above her hip bone on up. According to trace evidence, this cut below the ribs, but just above the hips, made it so only her spine needed to be severed. Karina's torso didn't contain any blood, as if it had been washed clean. Karina did not have any makeup on her face either. This cleaned or washed state of the torso left little evidence as well. What was left were bruises on her neck, which later led to a cause of death being strangulation. A partial print was also left behind and lifted from inside the trash bag. But again, that print is partial and it's unknown if it even belongs to Karina's murderer. The rest of Karina's remains have never been found. Many speculate that this may be an effort to hide DNA evidence after a sexual assault. The part of Karina's remains that were found were returned to Karina's family in Sweden. They celebrated her life with a funeral service and laid the partial remains to rest. That is one of the most heartbreaking pieces of this case. Her family didn't even get to lay all of her to rest. Trace evidence describes that Karina's father asked the detective, quote, what am I getting back, end quote, and to which the detective responded, 
quote, you're getting her upper torso. You're getting her beautiful face. The rest of Karina is still awaiting its proper rest, and all of her is awaiting justice, as her murderer is still out there, somewhere. There are a lot more theories of what happened to Karina. We could spend another hour or more talking about them, but it would just be a lot of, there's this theory, and it was looked into, but nothing came of it, or it was proved false. And yes, the people that Karina dated have been looked into, and theories built off that. The family that she au paired for was looked into, and there is a lot in question about that. But I'll leave those theories for the web sleuths. I instead want to leave us with Karina's voice after this following call to action. If you have any information on what happened to Karina, please call the Boston Police Department's Unsolved Homicide Unit as they continue to review the facts. You can call them at 617-343-4470. Community members that wish to assist in the investigation anonymously can do so by calling the Crime Stoppers tip line at 1-800-494-TIPS. Or you can text the word TIP to CRIME27463. As I mentioned, I want to leave us with Karina's voice. CelebrateBoston.com quoted a poem that Karina wrote in 1992. I tried to find the whole thing, but I wasn't able to. Regardless, I'd like to leave us with that quote today. Quote, the richest gift you ever got is life. Don't throw that away or ever step on it, but hold it high in your hands, end quote. And that's where we'll leave this episode today. Until our next episode, you know where to find us. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.